Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, so I want to get into preparing a dwelling place for Jesus. That's what we want to talk about. One of our goals here is to prepare a dwelling place. We love the Bible. We're excited about the Bible. So every time we open it up, we get pumped because we believe it is light into darkness. So if you got your Bibles today, come on, let's open them up to Psalm 132. Woo! Psalm 132, preparing a dwelling place for the Lord. While you're turning there, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Who I pray that everything that be done to bring glory to the name of Jesus. I yield to you, Lord. I yield control to you. I yield the floor to you. Let every heart be enamored by your presence. Show yourself strong to them, Lord. Speak to us. I pray for truth to abound today. In Jesus' name, everybody agree, say amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 132. I want to give you a little bit of the direction of where we're going as a church. People, some was asking after last week, like, oh, okay, so what's happening with the church? Here's what's happening is that God has just stirred in my heart and in our pastors of the church, our leaders, our elders, our our central unit of the church, our local uh, people that's heading up how things run, administrate, to pursue the face of God like we never have. And I'm telling you, we are in unison after one thing, and that is the presence of God. So as God began to speak to me about this, he just began to show me ways and areas where he wanted me to change some of my focus and where my focus was not on uh, getting people to come to the church, but getting him to come. And I know he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, but I'm talking about manifest present of God. I'm talking about when he walks into the room and things begin to change. So this is what we're going after. We're, we're pursuing him more than ever and we're doing it through prayer. This is what bursts the move of God, is prayer. This is the, le- the thing that the enemy attacks the most in church and the things that people rally around the least in church and that is what moves the hand of God the most in church is prayer. So we're praying every single day from 7.30 to 9. You're welcome. It's open here in North City in Mount Carmel. It's open as well. You can come pray there. From uh, uh, Monday nights we're praying. On uh, Wednesday and Thursday from noon to 1 we're praying. On Saturday from 8 to 10 we're praying. It is available. We are praying and praying and praying. What are we praying for? We're praying for him. We're not praying for him to do something. We're just praying for him. There's a difference. There's a difference in praying for God to do something and just praying to him to come and be him. When we pursue him, we're not pursuing what he does for us. We're pursuing who he is. When I need something from him, then I'll pray. That's the way most of us were taught and trained that when something's going on, we pray. If everything's good, we don't pray. But whenever we're just pursuing him, we always need him. So we want to prepare a place for him to dwell at the Rhodes Church, to hang out here, and then do whatever he wants to do. We're not telling him what to do. We're just asking him to come. Be with us, Lord. Just come, hang out here, and we'll figure out what to do after you show up. (laughs) Psalm 132, this psalm is about that very thing. And it says in verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he swore to the Lord. Now make note of this. 
David is swearing to God. He's making an oath or a vow to God and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. This was his vow to God. I want you to put yourself in this situation and see if you can also make this vow to God. Here's what he said to the Lord. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. Notice he says, I will not go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until, what is this big vow about that he's willing to go without going to his house uh, instead of being comfortable in his own bed, giving sleep to his eyes, slumber to his eyelids. What is this big vow about? Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So here's the vow that David says. He says, all right, God, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to look out for my own interests until I find a place for you. I want a place. Now, contextually, David, as we know about the Old Testament, was talking about a temple that he was wanting to build for the presence of God to come. That there was no temple at that time, and so he was asking God, I want to build a temple for you. His heart was to build a place for him, for God to come and hang out there, and they'd have the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. And he said, Lord, I want to build a place for you. I don't want to sleep. I don't want to go to my house. I want to make it all about you. That's the heart of David. This is why your Bible says that, that David had a heart as was a man after God's own heart. Two reasons for that. Number one, the Bible says is because he did what God told him to do. So he obeyed the Lord. And number two, he had a passion for the presence of God. This is in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit did not dwell on the inside of people. The presence of God only came in the Holy of Holies once a year for the priest to go into that presence. And only one person got to experience it. But David was a precursor to the New Testament with a heart of worship. He wanted to be in the presence of God. So this is why King David was so beloved in the heavenlies because he had a heart for the New Testament even though he lived in the Old Testament. He wanted the presence of God in his life. He wanted to encounter and experience the presence of God. So he said, Lord, I don't even want to sleep till I find a dwelling place for you. Come, live amongst us, Lord. A dwelling place for God. Not a place that God just once in a while visits, but a dwelling place. This is what my prayer is and our leader's prayer is for the church. It's not that once every blue moon we have a move of God. No, I'm praying for a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. We have music worship playing 24 hours a day in the auditorium now. Why? Because I want you when you walk into the doors to experience the presence of God. I want you to come in on a Tuesday afternoon and experience the presence of God. I want him to hang out here and say, this is a place I want to dwell. Because we welcome him above our agenda. Notice what he says. Until I find a place for the Lord, he says, I'm not even going to go to the comfort of my bed. Here's what David realized that we have to realize. David said, finding you a place, a place for your presence is more important than my comfort. I'm looking for some amens. <laughs> it's more important than my sleep. It's more important than my schedule. 
Lord, I want to serve your house more than I want to serve myself. That's what David said. But here's what's happened in the church too many times. In the name of reaching people, we began to build places that were based on the comfort of people instead of the comfort of God. Like, like our, our agenda, and again, in the goodwill intentions of we want to reach people, so we want them to come in and feel comfortable. Want them to feel okay and not feel weirded out. And God says the problem is, is that you guys started making churches for people to be comfortable, but I'm uncomfortable. He's like, you make it where you want people to come, but I'm not even welcome. Because when I start to show up, they start to shut things down. He's like, am I welcome or not? Is it comfortable for me or is it comfortable for them? And I said, Lord, forgive me. We repent. We don't want to make it comfortable for people. We want to make it comfortable for you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. And if people are uncomfortable, you'll have to work it out with God. God is not concerned with my comfort. He's concerned with my freedom and my deliverance and my growth. If I'm uncomfortable, it may be because there's something in me needs to come out of me. So he just begins to shake that thing up and say, "Mm, I'm not comfortable in this presence. So the answer is not for me to get out of that presence. It's for me to press into that presence and still what's uncomfortable comes out of me and I'm comfortable in what I'm created to do, be in the presence of God. Man, he's so good. Dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Look at verse 6. Behold, we heard, it, heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go. Look what it says. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let it be very clear. This is his church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is his church. We're going to go into his church. And look what happens when he says when we go into his church. Here's the heart. This is the passion that we want here for the church. This is what you want to experience when you come in. Let us go into his church. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my preference. It's his church. I'm not sure I like that song. It's okay. It's not about you. We're not trying to create songs that are... that. Appeal to the preferences of people. We're not taking a poll and say, which song would you like us to sing? We want to sing, and we're editing. I've been working with our worship pastor. We're going through songs, and we're like, we want our songs to glorify him. We want to worship him. I don't need a me pump-up song. I need a Jesus-glorifying song. So when we go into his church, Let us, look what it says, let us worship, I mean, we can do a whole sermon on that. Let us worship, let us worship, let us worship, let us worship. (laughs) When we come into church, let us do one thing, let us worship, (laughs) let us worship. Let me, not not come in and go, well, I'm just not sure, I'm not coming through a downtime. I understand, I come in sometimes frustrated, I come in confused, I come, uh, there's times I come in, I'm not feeling it, I'm not in it, but when we come in, we have a choice that we can worship the one who's worthy of praise. He's still worthy on my best day and on my worst day. Through every loss and victory, my soul will rise to only bring you glory, Lord, you're worthy of praise. Your Bible says, why so downcast, so my soul? Hope in God. 
For I believe I will yet see the glory of his encounter. Where was I? Let us worship. Let us worship. So when you come in, what does worship look like to you? I don't know, but I know where it comes from. It comes from here. I know the transition that I've gone through in my life, and I'm still working. I'm still growing. Praise the Lord, I'm still growing. I'm still, I want to be more hungry now than I was 15 years ago. I want to be the hungriest person in the church. I don't want anybody to have more hunger than me for the things of God. I want to keep pursuing after God. I want to grow after God. I never want to come to a place where I go, well, now I need time to turn around and teach these other people how to come into my level. I want to keep pursuing after him. And if you want to come after, come on after, but I'm going to pursue his face. When you come in, we come in to worship. And we don't come in to worship when we just go. Look at them. <laughs> That's kind of funny looking. That's not worshiping. That's observing. That's observing. We don't come in to observe. We don't come in to point out what others are doing or not coming in. We don't come in condemn because I'm not doing... We don't come in for any of that. But I come in from my heart to say, Jesus, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my worship. Maybe your worship looks like this. Maybe your worship looks like this. Maybe your worship looks like this. I don't know what it looks like, but I know where it comes from. Let it be from your heart. So let us worship. Let us worship where? Let us worship at his footstool. Oh, Jesus. At his feet. We don't worship at a screen. We worship at his feet, at his footstool. Then when we come in, there's only one king in the room. His name's Jesus. I don't know if you know him, but once you know him as Lord and master and king, it's hard to come in haughty. It's hard to come in thumping your own chest when you come in the presence of the king. You, you got to go to his feet. You got to come in low and you got to say, Jesus only you are worthy of praise. That's what he says. You come in, let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Father, I pray that that be a place here that you can rest here at the Rhodes Church. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. That represents the ark of the covenant he's talking about, which is the Holy Spirit. Again, the manifest presence of God was around the ark of the covenant. And in the holy of holies, he said, you arise to your resting place. Let the priests, these are those that are born again, Christians, followers of Jesus, be clothed with righteousness. Where's our righteousness come from? Our righteousness comes from Jesus. Why do we worship him? We worship him because with him I made righteousness. I was in sin, but now I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hey, I'm no longer bound by sin. Our sin has no control over me. I've been made the righteousness of God. Put on that robe of righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. The believers are supposed to shout. I watch, I'm a big football fan and I watch Thanksgiving weekend is like steroids for football fans. It's like overload, man. It's just, and so you're watching these games and the crowds, all the crowds back in the stadium and man, all the noise and the hype and Oh, it's awesome. Nothing against it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Only problem I have is when people think when they come in here that that attitude is supposed to be checked at the door and we come in here a little more dignified. 
We come in here, let's be calm, let's, be, let's control ourselves. I'm just saying if, if your team, my team is worthy of a shout, and I'm all for it, down with a shout, give it, give it up. My king is worthy of my shout. He said, when you come into the church, let the saints shout for joy. So this is how we're going to create a place for him to dwell is because the saints are going to do some shouting for joy. There's two things. I mean, I, I want to preach all of these. You know, two things about three words. Shout for joy. 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 Two principles involved right here in this, and I don't have time to preach all of it, but I want to throw this in because the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my mind right now. Sometimes we shout for joy, like we've got joy, so we shout. Sometimes the shout is for something. Sometimes your shout is unto something. Shout for joy. In other words, I don't have it right now, so I'm going to shout for it. You know, you don't even get that. You don't get that yet. Sometimes, because we, we're reactive, like, we won! Yes! But then shouting for something advanced is a little bit harder. Everybody can be a front runner. When your team's up and doing good, you can shout, yeah, we're winning. What about if you're down? Who's shouting to bring them up? Who's shouting to encourage them? This is what God is saying. We got to have both. We got to have the shout for joy on the back end and on the front end. All right, go to the next part. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Oh, Jesus, we're seeking your face. The Lord has sworn it in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. This is what, okay. David made a vow to God. When you make a vow to God to say, I will seek you first over every priority in my life. I will prioritize you first before sleep, before my own comfort. I'm going to put you first. When you make vows like that to God, he makes vows to you. Because look what he says. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. So your kids, your children, here's the promise. David, you put me first. You prioritized me. Here's what I'm going to do for your children after you. Yes, Lord. Bid unto me in my household in the name of Jesus. But look at verse 12. If, that's a big word. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also, also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. Notice verse 12 is a conditional statement for the next generation. Hear me. Listen to what I'm saying. David's dedication to the Lord got his sons on the throne. The sons' faithfulness themselves determined whether their sons would get on the throne. In other words... You can be raised up under the faithfulness of Jesus, but whether you experience the promises of Jesus for yourself or not or your children is determined by your willingness. See, I can hand the baton to my children and say, run after Jesus. This transition is vital for them to take and run for themselves and then hand it to my grandchildren. 
I can't hand it directly to my grandchildren without handing it to my children first. Now, when my grandchildren come along, I absolutely can pour into their life, speak into their life, be a part of it. But God is saying here, for my children to hand it to them, for them to grab that baton and run with it for themselves, and then their kids will be impacted by their decision. What does that mean? Young people, young people, when I'm, young people I'm putting you into teenager up to 25 or more. It could be whatever age. I don't want to put people in a box. I'm just saying the enemy loves to come at you and get you to think that you don't need what you were raised up in. Get you to think that you've come up under your own age. Now you can make your own decisions. You're free to go to the bar if you want. You're good to drink if you want. You're good to sleep with whoever you want to when you want. The truth is you absolutely are free to make that choice, but that choice is not freedom. When you make that choice to walk away from Jesus and do what you want to do, that is not freedom that you're being handed. You're being handed bondage. You're being handed something that's going to cause you to fall and fail. It is death in a bucket. That's what he's handing you. So he's coming for that time frame in your life where you say, you know what? I want to make my own decisions. You have that time. You have that choice. But I'm telling you, make a choice for Jesus. Make a choice for Jesus. So he says they're going to make that decision. For their sons, look on verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. What's Zion? Zion is Israel. Jerusalem, Israel. He has chosen there. He has desired it for his dwelling place. I want to uh, discredit replacement theology real quickly. I would love to do it lengthily, but I don't have time for it. This is, replacement theology is saying Israel Jews have been replaced by the New Testament church. And so when God talks about Zion and all those things, he's not looking after Israel anymore. It's not his chosen people. The church is his new chosen people. Let me just discredit that right now. God has chosen Abraham and the Israeli people, the Jewish people from the beginning, and he will stay faithful with that covenant. We need to support Israel. Because he's chosen them as a dwelling place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Remember your Bible, Jerusalem-centric, Israel-centric, Middle Eastern-centric. I'm going to start an end-time series called The Kingdom Culture pretty soon, and we'll talk about it. But, <laughs> but listen, here's what I want to get to today. We want to create, we want to continue to foster a dwelling place for the presence of God. Is that only in services? No. And I'll get into it next week. I don't have time to today, but you can read ahead in Ephesians chapter 2. We want our temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place for the presence of God. But when we gather together in worship, what happened to Stacy? How did that happen? A couple of things that I want to point out. That a person that's, according to scans, going to be in stage four cancer, just comes and gets in some water, gets out of the water, goes have scans the next day, and it'd be gone. It's not because of the water. The North City water is not that great. Not throwing any shade on it, but I've drank it for 20-some years. Move on. <laughs> so, it's not about the water. But yet, it was about the water. 
because it's who she met in the water. Well, I've already been baptized. It's not about that type of deal. It's about meeting him in the water. You could say, I've already been to the altar, so I don't need to come again. This altar is just a bunch of wood and carpet. It doesn't mean anything unless you meet him here, and then it means something. Another thing that was curious to me is if the scans show that on Tuesday she was completely healed, why did she have to come back again for the neuropathy and the, and the deafness to be gone. I don't know. So I'm saying that to say, don't try and put God in a box. I don't know why. I don't know why there are other people that came and they got in the water and out of the water and nothing happened other than they got wet. You got two different directions you can go when you hear a miracle testimony. Two maybe you could go more than two, but I'm just going to address two of them. One, you can get cynical and focus on all the other ones that nothing happened. And you can live your life that way. Or you can get excited and rejoice over what God did for one. And you can say, maybe he could do it for me. We got to choose. We got to choose. We get that choice every day. And I'll tell you, as a pastor for 15 and a half years and a minister here at this church for 20 some odd, I don't remember how many, 25, 25 years I've been preaching at this church. Wow, I started when I was 10. So 25 years. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. I have been personally invested in prayer for people that didn't turn out the way I wanted to. I mean personally invested, fought for, cried for, lost sleep for, stand in the gap for, for people who died. And I've been personally invested in people that have received miracles and supernaturally been healed. I've been super invested in both. And I've had the opportunity, every time I'm invested with someone who dies, I have the opportunity to walk away from that theology and say, maybe he does and maybe he doesn't. I'm not going to go for it anymore. Every time my heart is riched in two and the pain and the disappointment of it, as I speak at funerals and I say, God, why not? But here's what I've chosen to do. I've chosen in my heart that God desire his heart is that Jesus, when he walked this earth, I saw the heavenly will of the Father in flesh incarnate walking around. And every person that came up to him, he touched them, they were healed. Every single one who came to Jesus and said, will you do it? He said, I will. So because of that, I'm gonna keep going after it. Every time a disappointment comes, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep believing for more. For one, for every time a Stacy is healed, I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. There's more coming. There's more coming. We are pressing in for the presence of God, not for miracles, but for him. We just want him. We're not trying to have him show up and do for us what we want and perform and go through hoops and, and be some type of dancing monkey for us. We just want Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he does things. 
I don't know what else is going to happen on Thursday and Friday, but I can't wait. I can't wait. I don't know what else is going to happen today. I can't wait. It doesn't have to be the water. We get people that's being touched and healed every week. We had two people in the first service give their life to Jesus. The greatest miracle on the earth, two people giving their life to Jesus. Greatest miracle. I am thrilled and I am overjoyed for, for her family, Stacy, for being healed of cancer. But I'm telling you, one person giving their life to Jesus is the greatest miracle on the planet. And the problem is we can release faith for salvation, but we can't release faith for that. We got to do it. We got to go for it. You're like, well, Chad, what about this? My family member, my, my family members, my friends, my, I give you a laundry list of people. But all those lists of people can't compare to the face of Jesus that I'm after. I've, I've seen something. I, I've gazed at something. I'm, uh, I'm looking at something in my life will never be the same. I'm hungry for a soul to be changed by the power of God. I'm hungry for that man that came down after the end of the first service and stood here and weeped and weeped and gave his life to Christ. I'm hungry for that to happen all over the world, wherever God sends us. So what do we got to do as a church? We got to create a dwelling place for the presence of God. How do we do it? We do it by prayer. We do it by living sacrificially and saying, Jesus, we do it by serving. We do it by coming to the encounter services and I'll stay all night. Why? I'll stay all night if I need to. What? For the one, for the two, for the three, for the four. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We, we baptized, what, 144, 199, 140. I don't remember how many in the three times that we've had these. We just, we're just going to connect them to Jesus. Come, I, I'm not doing anything. You just come meet Jesus in the water. So when you come, don't come just being, being anything other than expecting him. When you come to this altar, I want you to come expecting to encounter Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.